Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the radio ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking to Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian. In this series, we've been discussing CIC issue number 75, which is God's will and Christian liberty. So Bob, can you just give us a little review of where we've been, and then we'll pick up with our conversation about God's providential will. Yes, we of course have dealt with the most, one of the most important verses is Deuteronomy 29, 29, where we talked about the things revealed, the secret things, and, you know, forbidden occult knowledge that we're not supposed to press into. So that was in Deuteronomy 29, 29. And then looking at Romans 8, 28, we talk about the all things discussion and God's providence. Is God actually in charge of his own universe? And when it talks about all things working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, does, is all things literal or is it just some things? And we argued that it was all things based on the ending of Romans 8. You can go look at that or listen to the previous episodes. And then we defended ourselves against the charge that teaching God's providence is the same as believing in fatalism and that everything is just in some mechanical, mechanistic way grinding out and it can be no other way. And so therefore it's just fatalistic. We defended ourselves against that and showed that in God's wisdom, he allows us true freedom and that, that God knows everything and that God causes history to go to his ordained places, which is ultimately redemption for those who love him, judgment on his enemies, doesn't imply fatalism. So we dealt with some details about that, foreknowledge and so forth. So now what we need to deal with is really some implications of what Christian liberty is all about and what do we need to do to be truly free? That's right. In your article, you say there is a practical problem when God's providential will is not seen as a valid category for understanding God's work in human history. What is that practical problem? Well, then you have this burden laid on Christians that, well, we can't trust that God's going to get us to the right place at the right time. So we need some help. We need some special revelation from God to know whether we should make decision A versus decision B. And let's just say somebody's facing a decision and either way they may go is not really a sin, but you don't want a bad outcome. Right. So I think, I, I think in the, my article, I talked about the decision of a young person about who, who to marry. Right. And that was a great example. Right. And so a lot of people uh, who really don't understand the Bible very well, but are Christians, assume that they better get some special help, generally some kind of a word from God, and then make the right choice. Otherwise, it's not going to work out well. And I pointed out in my article that if you view things that way, you end up with recrimination. You end up with a lot of second guessing and sorrow and doubt. 
because we live in a fallen world. And as we make our decisions and we, let's say, get married or take a certain job or take a certain course of action, it's guaranteed that there's going to be problems. Right. Okay? Because we live in a fallen world. And no one reading the Bible would ever get the idea that really hearing from God means a problem-free life. No. Because if you read the whole story of, of, of anybody's life in the Bible, whether it's David or the different prophets, Jeremiah, there's all kinds of sorrows and tears and laments. There's the lament literature. So the idea that if we heard from God, we'd have no problems is really bizarre. But a lot of people believe it. Right. I would say, well, one way to refute that is just look at the Psalms. Now, we know that David was a prophet, right? The Bible tells us that. Right. He, he spoke for God. He wrote scripture. But yet, one of the major types of literature in the Psalms is the lament. Right. And lamenting why things are so bad and why there's so much sorrow and pain. And the answer is never, well, if you would have heard from me, then you wouldn't have these problems. Well, now that's true. And David did hear from God. Well, he did all the time because he, unlike us, he was a prophet. Right. And so we have to, therefore, conclude that sorrows and difficulties are part of what God allows and is part of his providential will. And so because yes, God allows that and he uses it and he works through it, I think we mentioned uh, Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Right. Okay. And we also mentioned the crucifixion of Christ being God's predetermined plan, but yet the good of it was for the salvation of all who would believe God's plan of redemption in Christ through the cross. So honestly, I think this idea that we providence would be fatalism and the better approach is to get revelations so that we make all our decisions based on what God told us to do. Okay. You make the claim in your article that that type of thinking ultimately just impinges upon Christian liberty. How does that happen? Well, I've pointed that out in many places before, and I don't think people realize that. If you took the view that there is this special will of God for each person that's revealed through inner voices or some means of special God told me this or God told me that, and that if you're really good at hearing from God and you really know the, what the voice of God is like, uh, whatever that might sound like, that then, then you are really a high-quality Christian and you're really going to live a victorious Christian life with lots of joy and benefits and many things that ordinary Christians are going to miss out on. So I think that those who claim that, and some people maybe won't actually say that, but that's how they think. Right. And they look down their noses at other Christians who have difficulties thinking, well, you didn't hear from God. That's why you got all these problems. Well, here's what they don't think about, in my opinion. If that were true, then the one who's really pious and really attuned to the voice of God would make many, many perfect and wonderful choices about anything and everything they do. 
And ultimately, they wouldn't have any Christian liberty at all. Because everything right. that they may have just decided has been overruled by some special revelation unique to them. And so they're being dictated to point by point by point, turn left, not right. And then I've had this conversation. They said, well, I don't go to that extreme. I just think it's about the big things, like what job to take and what person to marry. But even in those things, we have liberty. So if you have to wait for a special word from God, you no longer have liberty. Well, we know that because Paul said that. Right. When marriage and uh, what to do, say if someone becomes a Christian and their spouse leaves them, are they free to marry in the Lord? There's these things. Paul actually attributes, given the right parameters, that marriage is something that's part of Christian liberty for the Christian to marry another Christian. Right. In the Lord. Yes. Now, nowadays, we have to say a man marrying a woman. We have to be very specific these yeah. days. That's where the Christian liberty is within the parameters that God made. But it's not saying that if you want this to really work out, yeah, then you better get a revelation about exactly which Christian woman to strike up a relationship with, or man, if you're a woman, how to work this out. We just go about using wisdom and th doing things God's way by his grace, meaning with godly attitudes and a love for the truth. It doesn't mean with revelations that involve step by step by step. Right. So let's just give a quick definition of what Christian liberty is before we go a little farther. Well, Christian liberty, in fact, let me just quote that from my article. Okay. Uh, page three, if you print the PDF of the article, right under the heading Christian liberty, it says, Christian liberty is the freedom to make decisions about matters that are not revealed in scriptures without fear of sinning against God. And I, I also make another sentence statement right after that definition of liberty, to freedom to make decisions in matters that are not bound or revealed in scriptures. In other words, you're not transgressing God's moral law. So decide what to eat for supper or whatever, or right. consequential things like expensive purchases like a car or whatever, we're free to make decisions. And I also say this, this liberty is accentuated by the knowledge that whatever we choose within those parameters is pleasing to God. And that's, I think that's important, okay? Having studied church history, a lot of the really pernicious false practices and teachings came through what I call pietism, but people think if they really want to please God, they got to enter a path of self-denial by taking oaths, which, of course, God tells us not to do. They take an oath of chastity, meaning they, they swear to never marry. Well, they just right. decided to take an oath and restrict their own liberty, and they assume that's more pleasing to God. Except that God has given us that liberty, and it pleases him when we use it, and we right. make godly decisions within the realm of liberty. And that's what's so important about this, or you end up back in Roman Catholicism. 
right. where they're continually removing liberty from people in the name of what they call Christianity. I do not consider Roman Catholicism biblical Christianity. It's right. a strange uh, outcome of what happens when you reject Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, the glory of God alone, and so on. You end up with this bizarre mixture. But a lot of the ideas from Rome creep into evangelicalism. And so they think that if you just took an oath of um, chastity, meaning to never marry, how they use it, and went and lived in poverty in some third world country, swearing never to marry, that you'd be more pleasing to God than your, the Christians around you who go about getting married, raising families, and working jobs. So what does Paul say about that? Well, it's a doctrine of demons. Exactly. Okay, so the fact is, if someone does end up staying single, and they do end up becoming a missionary in a difficult situation, because they chose to do that because they have such a heart to do so, they want to get somewhere and preach the gospel unencumbered, they're free to do that. Right. Paul addresses that in his epistles. That's how he functioned. Yep. But he makes it very clear that if someone has a wife, they're not sitting. Yeah. Now, what we want our listeners to know, this is very, very important, that God's providential will is revealed as history unfolds, and it includes our decisions. Right. Your decision is part of providence, and providence has the implication that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose, and that purpose is ultimately to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so the doctrine of providence, God overruling history to bring everything to pass according to his eternal counsel, rather than being fatalism, and some kind of oppression is liberating. Right. And, and that's what I want it's our listeners It's freedom. Yeah, it's very liberating because it gives us hope and joy that I can go through life and make decisions and trust God and that I'm somehow not going to throw a monkey wrench into the plan of God that he wanted to do, but then I goofed it up because I lived in the wrong country or married the wrong person or went the wrong school or did something like that. But we rather understand that God is working through these things and that we are truly free to make decisions without fear of recrimination. That's very important. Right. I'm not saying that we don't have regrets, but part of the process of learning wisdom, and that's a category we'll get to eventually as we go through this paper, because I have a section on wisdom, and James talks about wisdom, and I think that we can talk about how we gain wisdom, but learning things is part of the joy of the process. Right. Learning what works and what doesn't work, and learning how to deal with the issues that come up in life, and what is not wise. Something can be within our liberty, but turn out to not be the 
wisest or most favorable way we'd want to do something. We, we are prone to making foolish decisions sometimes, but they're not always sinful. Right. And that's part of the deal. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Well, and we learn from them. Part of that might be how we gain some wisdom. <laughs> well, also the joy. Uh, honestly, um, if you look at just about every kind of activity there is in life, even recreational activities, that what is certain in the providential mind of God is not certain to us because we don't know, all right? Right. So part of the excitement of various things, let's just, I, I like going fishing, and something I'm pretty good at. Well, part of the joy and excitement of it is the fact that you're learning something and you might catch a big fish or you might not catch anything. Situation might change when you get there. Oh, a cold front went through and the fish changed their pattern. And now how am I going to find them? And this whole process is exciting to the fishermen because you're learning something, not because the outcome is always favorable. Right. It's true for anything you do, whether it's growing a garden. You have to figure out what works and what doesn't. Sometimes you get worms that are attacking your fruit. Sometimes the weather isn't favorable. And so you have the sweat of your brow. But see, the, the, the outcome of battling the battles and feeding your family and finding success at times, though sometimes there's failures, in the idea of, of succeeding in our endeavor at the moment, is part of the joy of life. And we're not God. We can't have omniscience because that's not a, a communicable attribute of God. So right. as humans, liberty is part of how God created us and we need it. So I told somebody one time, if every time you threw a lure in the water, you caught the biggest fish in a lake, that'd be fun for a couple times out. And pretty soon you'd probably just quit fishing because there'd be no, you're, just, you're working. You're just hauling in fish. Right. Now, it's that way with everything else because you're trying to do it. What if every time you golfed, you hit the ball and went in the hole for a hole in one? That wouldn't be any fun. Wouldn't be any fun. Well, what if you, let's say you have something simple like your, what's that, um, where they toss like a bean bag or something through a little yeah, hole? Yeah, what do they call it, corn ball or something? Yeah. What if you made a hole about 10 feet wide instead of three <laughs> feet from it? Would that be kind of exciting? You just threw it? No, you just be you wouldn't be doing anything at all. You just it'd be impossible to miss. Yeah. So the point of any of these things in our minds, even though in the omniscience of God there is no uncertain outcome, in our minds, the uncertainty helps us enjoy life. Right. It's very interesting how that works. I've had a lot of time to talk about this and think about it because when I was in seminary in the 90s, there were a lot of people challenging what I'm teaching. Yes. In fact, both sides of it, there were all kinds of bad teachings floating around back in the 90s. One was open theism, where not even God knows the future. Right. And the other was the view that you need to get special revelations from God about everything because God is talking to you personally beyond Scripture. And so there was nothing but confusion around me. And it was back... Right after that, see, when I wrote this was 2003, four years after I graduated from seminary, this article came out of a lot of discussions, debate I had when I was in seminary. Right. 
And a, a topic for another episode would be about these personal words from God. I think we could spend a whole half hour on that, so we'll save that one. But how do we find out God's will in matters of Christian liberty? Make a decision. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. Make a decision. It's that simple, friends. That's what you do. You make a decision. Yep. Now, is that all there is to it? Well, it doesn't mean we don't think over if it's a decision that's going to have financial consequences for my family. Right. Then, of course, I talk it over with family members, with my wife, maybe with some friends. And then we make a decision. Yeah. You know, and I'm not being flippant about it. I'm just saying God's um, providential uh, will is revealed in the course of history as we make decisions and live out life. That's right. Okay, so in your article, you say God granted human liberty in his act of creating humans in his image. How does that play out in what we see in Genesis? Well, it helps us understand that in God's creation of humans, he intended us to have liberty. Now, this was harmed by the fall. Okay. But yet there's still the same concept of liberty. It's just now the, the thistles grow. Right. Let me, let me explain this. In the act of creation, God gave Adam significant freedom, including the, the freedom to name animals. He wasn't going to come along and say, well, you got that one wrong. Right. He was free to name them as he saw fit. And consider this one from Genesis 2, 16 and 17. I'll quote it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely, there's liberty, you may freely okay. eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. So now we have the basic categories we've been laying out in this series. There is freedom. Here's the whole paradise. Here's the Garden of Eden. You are free to eat your way through paradise, whatever you choose. Right. It's all good for you. It's not going to hurt you. But there's boundaries. Freedom with boundaries. The boundary is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And so there is a restriction. It's there for their good. But as we see in Genesis 3, Satan used that to suggest God was keeping something from them. Right. So in the very original creation, there was freedom, freely eating, naming the animals, tilling and keeping the garden. There were duties. It wasn't like there was no work. Some yeah. people think paradise means I sit around and do nothing the rest of my life. But they had duties to do even in before the fall. But then there was the boundary, which is what we're talking about, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the things revealed. It was revealed that you could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. That's God's moral law. So now they transgressed that moral law and rebelled out of thinking there's going to be God's withholding something good, that they're going to be like God. They're, they're going to think it's going to be good for fruit. 
food, delightful to the eyes. Somehow God was keeping something good from them. And, mm-hmm. and so they believe the lie. You'll be like God. So then what happens is the fall. They're kicked out of paradise, the Garden of Eden. Yep. They're going to have to work with the sweat of their brow. There's going to be thistles. We talked about that in one of our broadcasts re- recently. I remember which one. Yeah. And so yeah. now we have freedom within boundaries. Well, so we know that freedom is something God intended, and he still intends. We see it under the new covenant as well. So we have significant freedom, but there's still boundaries and we're not in paradise because God's moral laws revealed in the Bible. Now, in my article, I, I mentioned from 1 Timothy 6, 17, how God gives freedom, but also wisdom about not having bad motives and things like that, which are restricted. The law of God covers motives, by the way. You look at the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not covet. Right. So people that are covetous are transgressing a moral law by having that attitude, and it'll lead them to sorrows. And so let me quote this verse I have in my article, 1 Timothy 6, 17. And this is Paul's writing. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So there's another verse that says, those who will to get rich pierce themselves through with sorrows. They make it like the only thing that matters. Right. It's not right. a sin to be rich, but it's a sin to be covetous. It's not yes. a sin to be rich, but it's a sin to put your hope in riches. Right. Okay? But when Paul says God gives us richly all things to enjoy, this is reminding us of the of even in the garden where uh, Adam could enjoy the fruit of the various trees of the garden and his freedom and his authority to name animals and, and to live in, in fellowship with God. And so, dear listeners, this freedom to enjoy all things that are allowed within God's moral law and our liberty is not dependent on how wealthy we are, okay? A poor person can enjoy life just like a rich person maybe can, and a lot of rich people are full of sorrow. Just That's look at true. life, just look around. Look at how well everything goes for all the Hollywood stars. Oh, dear. You see all kinds of tra- trauma and people dying of overdoses and, Lives going, hitting the rocks, not always, but sometimes. So being rich doesn't solve all the different problems people have. You no, see that? And being poor doesn't necessarily mean there's no hope for you to richly enjoy faith in God and serving him and living for him. And yeah. that's just the way it is. God gives us richly all things to, go, to enjoy. Don't fix your hope on riches. Fix your hope in God and enjoy the liberty he gave you. That's a great place to wrap this up for today. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others at the website, cicministry.org. We want to remind you to, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. 
For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus and Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.